Okay, are we ready, gentlemen? Good morning. Okay, I am talking to my pals and uh, cohorts in crime for many years, the inimitable Chuck Rabb and Joseph Gregory. Welcome to Applaudable Perspectives. We're fabulous, and, and I just feel like we have gone through seasons of life together, and we, we, we still like each other, and we still have fun, and, and we still have things to talk about. So anyone who doesn't know these two gentlemen, uh, get ready, because it's, it's an interesting ride. Um, uh, so real quickly, I will say how I met you guys. I, I was reading the National Business Journal. And lo and behold, there was a story about the Hope Diamond, the Fragrance Fable, and Joseph Gregory. So I thought, well, isn't that interesting? And his uh, predecessor, Evelyn Walsh McLean, which we will talk about in a second. And I picked up, I think I sent you an email, or maybe I sent you a letter. And I said, oh my goodness, what a great story. I want to talk to you. And we, we met. And you yeah. and Chuck were working on this project, and we started working together. I started promoting the book and uh, and your fragrance line. So that was many years ago, and it's c- kind of continued and morphed. And So let, let's just kind of springboard from there, and, and let's talk real quick about, about that project and what it's meant to you guys. Well, you know, Pam, it's been a long, long journey, like you said. And I do remember when you contacted Chuck and myself back in 1999, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's right. 99 or 98. And, oh, my goodness. And it has been a great time knowing you and doing the things that we are still doing today with our fragrance called Fable, which you originally contacted us for. Yes. You know, we always, we always know if we stray, mentions our relationship, we always know that if we stray, we, we still can come back to you. You know, we are, you're always there. Uh, the one thing I you make me laugh. That's why <laughs> you you both make me laugh, and I love your passion and your I would say your zest for life, your joie de vivre. You both have it. Oh, well, thank you, Sam. I have to say about you. You know, your energy level is just yeah. You know, it's contagious. Thank you. It is, yeah. and that's something that I've always admired about you. You always had your your stuff together, and you're always funny. And um, I that's why I always look back talking to you on the phone or anywhere we see each other. Mm-hmm. You know, back to the fragrance. Um, gosh, when we first started that venture, we knew absolutely nothing about what we were doing. You know, we had to go to uh, New York. We sought out designers glass blowers, for lack of any better term, I'll call them that, people that design glass bottles. One guy we talked to, Robert de Grenier, he had actually just finished doing the glass for the flame on the Statue of Liberty. And oh. uh, you know that, that piqued our interest. And so we went to talk to him about it. And it turned out that we, that was going to be too extravagant of a evidence of a adventure for packaging yeah yeah so we'd heard of this other designer that that named mark rosen and we went to mark and it just turned out to be a coincidence joseph met with him 
And when we called him the day we were in New York, um, Mark on the phone said, oh my gosh, this is such a coincidence. I read just read this article about your great-grandmother in Vanity Fair. Ah. Uh, on the Hope Diamond. Oh my goodness. So he says, this is maybe meant to be. So we went and talked with him and we hit it off. And so he helped guide us through the process, designing packaging and bottles and connected us with somebody that was a consultant that would guide us through the process. So it turned out to be a wonderful experience. I mean, we weren't totally top sellers or, you know, big name uh, fragrance gurus or anything else like that, but we had the experience, you know, I think that was the important thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about the end of the process or the victory. It was about going through the process. And what all well, and and the fragrance, and we should we should rewind for a second. <clears throat> the fragrance was a spinoff from your publishing the book about Evelyn and her experience and, and her very interesting, flamboyant, amazing life. Uh, and she was an heiress to a silver mine and all the money that was made and, and just unspeakable wealth back during the Gilded Age when there was no income tax and they, and just making money and making money and making money. And yeah. and so she was a character. She she befriended uh, royalty. She befriended uh, Hollywood celebrities. Uh, she threw lavish parties. Um, she was a little eccentric. And she wanted and eventually owned the Hope Diamond, uh, which was rumored to be cursed. And she had her share of personal tragedies. But, uh, I mean, talk talk a little bit about Evelyn. I mean, I remember one of the stories is, didn't she used to let one of the babies chew on the, the diamond yeah, as a actually, teething? She actually allowed her great dame, Mike, to wear the Hope Diamond around the house. Around her house. And she allowed, um, she had a monkey in her bathroom that actually played with the Hope Diamond. And she allowed my mother, uh, Mamie, to play with the Hope Diamond and tease on it and play with it in the sandbox and <laughs> behind the curtain to play with and play hide go seek and catch with my mother as she was a little girl with the diamond. Um, I have to say that Evelyn Washington Payne owned the Hope Diamond for, you know, she was, a, she was the longest and the last private owner to own the Hope Diamond for 34 years. Unbelievable. Before, before Harry Winston purchased it. Purchased it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And tell everybody, if they don't know where it is now, tell them where it is. Oh, my gosh. Smithsonian. It's in Smithsonian, Washington, D.C. It is the number one museum exhibit in the world as of yesterday. I read about in the paper. I Googled it up, and which was very honored to, to know. And it was... Uh, it, it, it's been there since the 1950s. It was given to the Smithsonian as a gift by Harry Winston. He took it around the world for Evelyn's wishes to raise money for various charities for 10 years and then decided that the Jim and Hall Museum at Smithsonian needed a place to house wonderful diamonds and, and pearls and, and emeralds and stuff. So, uh, just very, because uh, I'm sure you have it memorized. We've done so many interviews and, and work. I mean, we've done, God, we did book signings and all kinds of yeah. things. Over, uh, wh what is the carat weight of the Hope Diamond? Where was it found? 
It's um, 45 and a half carats. Right, that's and, I thought. Um, it was found in the Golconda mines in India. In India. Mm-hmm. In India. And that, you know, with that we talk about that a lot in my first book, Queen of Diamonds, that Carol Ann Brass, which is Chuck's sister, sister. and mm-hmm. I co- collaborated together to write. And what we actually did was we took Ellen Wash McClain's um, autobiography and we updated it where it needed to be, where everyone was in life, and how it got to Smithsonian. And then that completed the whole story. And then from there, we uh, went out and promoted it, and um, then that's when the fragrance came along, and, and everything around came about from that. We even did another book called The Hope Diamonds, which I did about 10 years ago, and that got critically acclaimed for that. And so from that standpoint, the, 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 the information that I gave out there into the world has now become more of PBS specials. Um, we're talking about the, um, the Learning Channel, right. the mm-hmm. Discovery Channel, and et cetera. Yes, and I had the pleasure of working with Carol. She was a great lady and tireless, and I mean, you guys... It really was a pleasure. I mean, you, you all have such unique personalities. You all contributed to the project. And what I loved about the fragrance, which, I, I mean, I wore it forever. I don't have any more of it. But I remember you talking about how when you actually put the fragrance together, it was significant and you utilized things that meant something to Evelyn. Like her favorite dessert was creme brulee. So, yeah, yeah, very good. What did it contain? Various notes that represented things about the Hope Diamond. Yes. Countries that had been in. Yes. So it had white iris in it, sandalwood, which was representative of India. Sure. Permittos. Permittos yeah. in there. And we also had uh, musk was in there also. And then it, the creme brulee was the very top note at the yeah. end. Uh, and so. Uh, well, it's a beautiful fragrance, and and it was it was it's a very long lasting fragrance. So you put it on in the morning, yeah. it was yeah. wonderful. And men could wear it too, because I remember we we when we would have the book signings, we would ha- we would give out little tubes of the cream, the hand cream, and it, it obviously smelled different on everyone's chemistry. But men could wear it as well, and um, yeah. and it was unusual. It was not reminiscent of any other fragrance that I can possibly recall. So it was well, something special. My oriental floral fragrance, and we had everything in Fable's fragrance line from your bath and shower gel to, like you mentioned, the body cream. Yes, brush. yeah, and everything from the Audi toilet to the Audi parfum to the parfum itself, a limited edition. The limited edition, uh, yeah, it was, was beautiful. Our clients needs. They wanted to make sure that we had an entire line and not just one bottle of fragrance. Right, and the and the even the box the box was a blue cardboard box, but it was blue oh. with silver. I mean, it was yeah. really the packaging was beautiful. Thank you. We wanted to do the packaging that represents again the Hope Diamond, and it was at baskets all over it. Well, it's a time of opulence and a time of you know Evelyn was she was flamboyant, but she she also had a big heart. And mm, and she absolutely. gave back to people, and she um, was supportive of the Red Cross, and she, you know, she she wasn't just this heiress who just spent money randomly, 
And McLean, Virginia is named after the family. And correct me if I'm wrong, one of the embassies in Washington was an original McLean house. Am I right? Yes, that's correct. And they built that. Her father, um, Evelyn McLean's father, Thomas Walsh, built it for King Leopold, actually, to come and visit them. But he never ended up coming to the house. So well, it's the biggest embassy um, in the world. And it's embassy for which country now, Joseph? For the Indonesian. Indonesian, okay. Indonesian embassy now, yeah. Uh, Connecticut? Connecticut, Connecticut, Connecticut Boulevard. Connecticut Boulevard. So let's talk talk about the two of you. Now, you both... Oh. Well, no. Okay, so you both both are from uh, the South. Joseph grew up in Nashville, and he had a very interesting childhood. Um, Chuck, you have Kentucky roots, and no, you. Missouri. Bo- I was from Missouri. Missouri. I'm sorry, Missouri, Missouri. I apologize. Absolutely, I apologize. You're right. Um, and you, you were involved with the salon business. Both of you were involved with the salon yes. business. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And that's how you met, and you both became uh, very skilled in your craft. Had a lot of celebrity clients, and and Joseph, you still. Uh, work and and do hair and and everything. So, I'm sorry. I do, I do, and um, I'm also I do a lot of image consulting. Too yes, stylists. Yes. Uh huh. And but you know, Pam. But you know, real quick, I have to say the best thing of Chuck meeting Chuck. I met him at um, Heartstrings. Yeah, which was an age fundraiser for charity. Okay. Here in Nashville. Yeah, where uh, Joseph's dad uh, was one of the MCs. Tom T. Hall. And, uh, me and Pearl was the younger MC. And I met him, a mutual friend of ours, introduced us at the, at the after party, per se, reception after the show. Wow. And that's how we met. That's how we and met. that was 30 years ago. Four years ago. 34 years ago. Yeah, about 34 years ago. So what I love about you guys, I mean, you you are have, have you have had a partnership in work, and you've had, you have had a partnership in life, and that's not that is not easy to do, and you're also you've been in a business that is highly competitive, and can be volatile and can yeah. be um, extremely demanding of your time. So the fact that you've been able to weather all those storms and you're still together, and can I just say, we were at my house and you said we have exciting news and tell everybody what's happening. Well, I'm, I'm very excited today. After, after we're getting married, it's about 34 years. Woo! October 28th, and we're, we're thrilled to death. And something that I never dreamt of having, but... I felt like as I'm getting older, and Chuck as well, that it was about time we go go ahead and do this. Well, and I'm so excited. Going, Thank you. Yes, nor are we. You know, it's been quite a long journey. <laughs> I can't believe I'm getting married, actually. That's something I've always wanted, but I can't believe that can happen right now in reality time. Well, and I love, and it's sort of homage, because we talked about this, and I'm like, well, you could go here, you could go there, what about this, what about that? But what you're doing is, and it's sort of an homage to how you feel about history, you're getting married at the Hermitage Hotel, 
and yeah. and you're having the reception there, and it'll be amazing. And it's sort of, uh, I think, almost a throwback to a finer time, a, a more genteel way of living. And I love that about about you guys that you get it. You love antiques. You love culture. You love history. You love travel. You know, you love art. It's all the things that I love too. So I think that's that's why we resonate on so many levels. Um, you love good food, and yeah. uh, you're, definitely. You're, there will be some good food there. I will say that. You know, so it, just think about that hotel. It's just so beautiful. It's been renovated a second time, uh, and it even looks more grand. But yet it has contemporary, uh, has a contemporary vibe. Yeah. You know. As well. So you know, it's sort of like taking the historic and bringing it into now and into the future, which I find it really fascinating that they've done that. Well, and I think it's particularly interesting because Evelyn was a very outspoken woman when it came to women's rights and and suffrage. And the Hermitage Hotel was a hotbed for the suffrage movement here in Tennessee. And of course, we were very pivotal. We had the pivotal vote that yeah. tipped the scale that passed the law for the 19th Amendment. So I think there's lots of connections here. Now, the big question I have, I didn't ask this to you before. I want to know who is wearing the Hope Diamond in the reception. <laughs> Which one of you is wearing it? Well, I wasn't going to ask, but I'm available. <laughs> Well, I personally, I have to say, guys, I'm partial to the setting that Evelyn had. I think it's exquisite. The new setting, not as much. I don't know. I think it distracts. I think the the old setting is more beautiful, personally. Yeah, they did change it back. They finally did change it back to the original. Oh, now they've got it back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, but good. They had that ribbons of hope, they called it, for a while, which did sort of take away from the yes yeah. yeah okay well I'm glad to hear that then see I'm just I'm a traditionalist there okay so we talked about this earlier and you said you didn't mind if I asked so you um so when you both came out that caused a certain amount of consternation certainly I know in Joseph's family uh and you've known that you were gay for a good long while your parents and you, your parents are in, were in Kentucky, correct? Correct. Mine was Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. That's where I. My, my, my parents were in Kentucky. Kentucky, and that's where I got confused. My 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 bad, Chuck. I apologize. No, that's fine. Uh, so, your parents, your biologic parents, knew Dixie and Tom T. Hall through showing dogs. That's right. Yes. And. They didn't know what to do with this gay boy, I guess. They were kind of throwing their hands up. Well, you know, actually, my father, my real father, Joe, he was a international dog show judge for the American Kennel Club, for, like, Westminster Kennel Club and such. And my mother showed dogs as well. Okay. And they, they traveled extensively. And I have one sister named Evelyn, named after my great-grandmother. And um, Evelyn, my sister... She was also showing dogs herself before she got into now doing dog shows and being a dog show judge. But I came to Tom and Dixie's back in 
1980 um, as a summer vacation. Right. See how well we would get along with each other. It seemed like that. We and they did. Kids. They didn't have kids together, right? Or did they? We did not have kids together. Right. Tom had a son named Dean by a previous marriage, mm -hmm. and Dean was not uh, around. He was in college. Okay. The time. And um, my grandmother was getting who I lived with. My father's mo mother. She was getting older, so she felt the best thing for me to do was to live with Tom and Dixon, have a farm, and have friends, and and be able to do all the things that a kid can have. Now, so Dixie and Tom lived in Franklin, which is where I live, and you went to Franklin High, right? I did. I did go to Franklin High. Now, tell everybody who you were in school with. I was in school with Ashley Judd. Ha! I love it. And uh, Ashley and I became um, good friends during school. We would cheat off each other's papers. <laughs> English papers in school. And now look who she is today, a big movie star and a big activist. Which yeah. Which very proud of that's crazy. And she went to Harvard. She went to Harvard, yeah. yeah. So you go. So I think it was because you helped her. Joseph, because you helped her. That's right. She passed her test and, and was bound for Hollywood and Harvard. Yeah, and you know, that was something I've always said we discussed as young, young high school students that I always wanted to get in the movie business or commercial business like she did. Mm -hmm. And she encouraged me to go on in my other years to go ahead and do commercials and get the videos and such mm -hmm. because of Ashley. You did have a brief modeling career. I did have yeah. a brief modeling career. Yes, I did. before I mentioned. Because of Ashley, actually, because she encouraged me to do a lot of things. Weren't they trying to fix you up with her? They were. They were. Ah. <laughs> yeah, they did. That didn't work. Because that was the time when Ashley's mother and sister, Wynonna and Naomi Judd, was just becoming popular. And I remember Ashley turning around in her seat in front of me saying, my mother and my sister will be the biggest stars in country music. I said, I don't think so. Ah! And look what happened. Look what happened. The successful duet of all time in country music. Well, and I, I have to tell you, when working with you guys all these years, off and on and being friends, one of the things that I thought was really brilliant and why the, the why it worked is like Chuck and Carol were like the business. You guys were the number crunchers. You guys were like, you know, we would sit in meetings. And you're like, what about this? And what about that? And you were like, you know, and Joseph was more of like the creative kind of like, you know, spokesperson uh, and obviously had the pedigree of the of the diamond and everything. But it was very much, to your credit, a collaborative experience. So you yes. absolutely were shoulder to shoulder and, and working together, and it all it all made sense. It all worked. And again, I, I, I think that's not easy to do. It's not easy to know someone for that long and to make a relationship work. So kudos to you. Thank uh, you. I agree with that. It's been, it's, it was a little difficult. We've had our ups and downs. And it's not, it's not been easy, you know, but it's, um, you know, one of the things that really um, – some the, you know, we had some great mentors in the music, I mean, excuse me, in the fragrance business yes. that really taught us well. Mm -hmm. And one of the people I have to mention is Mark Rosen, mm -hmm. who became like a father figure to us because he wanted us to succeed, Fable Fragrances, to be a national and international brand. Mm -hmm. And then um, one day I, we met his wife, Arlene Daw, the famous motion picture um Okay, movie star, movie star. New yeah. Trent. New Evelyn, yeah. New Evelyn. As a matter of fact, Evelyn was the one that introduced her to Warner Brothers. Evelyn always had these flamboyant parties, like you mentioned earlier, 
with um, Ethel Barrymore and uh, um, Errol Flynn would be there. Unbelievable. Yeah, D.W. Griffith actually gave her a camera that she would take uh, film with. And one of those videos that we found that was in stock uh, actually showed her doing that. Well, and D.W. Griffith was famous for Birth of a Nation, which is you know pretty pretty controversial now. But 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 tell about her parties because I love the stories about the parties. Tell about the plates and tell about the sand in the on the table. Um, Evelyn would have like you said these big opulent parties. Everybody in Washington D.C. or anywhere else around the area always wanted to go to her parties, and Evelyn would have. Um, orchids flown in from all around the world. She would have little um, dessert china plates with each of her dogs on. So when people would leave the party, she would have them clean and she would hand them out at the door as a thank you gift for coming. Hand painted, imagine hand painted porcelain, yeah. one of a kind dishes. Yeah. That was one your parting gift. Yes. And Evelyn would have these beautiful dresses, and so would her company. The ladies would be having these gorgeous gowns flowing everywhere when they do their dances and such. But um, Jack, you know, what do you what do you think? I mean, oh Ellen gosh, was, Ellen you know, was just—it's a, a different era back then. You know, you mentioned the Belle Epoque. Belle Epoque, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. so opulent. Now, today, it reminds me of the um, HBO Max company. What was that, Joseph? Um, well, it was sort of Downton Abbey, and then you know yeah, the built the built the Biltmore, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it went on into the forties, you know, post-war, both through both world wars, and, and um, so she was very well known in society. Yeah. Uh, and she just wanted to take all of that to celebrate that. She would have afternoon teas for the. The guys that were in the VA hospital at that time, and they would come out to her mansion, which was called Friendship, which is near where Chevy Chase, Maryland, is today. And she would have them come out to their to her place, and they would have tea. And she'd pass around the diamonds and let them wear it, and her girlfriends wear it, etc. And so it was just a wonderful time. So different than today, you know. Uh, well, she she wasn't just a spoiled brat who had a lot of money and went and bought things. I mean, and, no, not at all. Yeah, no, I think she appreciated it because you know because of her roots. You know, her father was a gold miner in Colorado. Right. It was a carpet carpenter who wound up buying up uh, all of these different claims that people had decided to sell or desert out in Colorado up in the mountains uh, near a place called Ure, Colorado, yep, yep. which is called Little Switzerland. And so he would buy up these things, and one day, that, that was the theme of the first book, you know, he, would, he came home one day and told her, my dear, I think I have struck it rich. He had found gold, and it became the wealthiest gold mine in the world for many years. Told Evelyn McLean that. Yeah, and so. Tell tell everybody how much they were making back then, which even now it's a lot of money. But obviously, if you if you factor in inflation. Yeah, back in eighteen hundred, 
Uh, Thomas Walsh was coming out with a little over $5,000 a day. A day. Think about that, guys. Wow. Yeah. Back in 1890. Over half a million today, I think, a day. So, you know, it, it was quite point of mind. And uh, high up in the mountains, it was difficult to get to. He, he hauled by donkey cart all of his workers up there. They had carpenters that built dormitories up there. They had a dining hall that he would feed them, and they would dine on fine linens and silverware when they would eat. So he really took care of his workers. Yeah. You know, because he felt they were very special. Yeah. So we've been up there and seen that. And of course, most of it's gone now, uh, reclaimed by the mountains. Uh, but it's just beautiful to pull up there. Beautiful scenery, and um, so that's it'd be, place to, it'd be a great place to try and live if you could get there. You just have to helicopter in. Yeah. <laughs> so that so for people who are listening, is Ure is O U R A Y Ure, Colorado. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Now I will I will say after Thomas Walsh struck gold in Ure, Colorado, he became friends with the with presidents and governors and senators. Uh, from Washington, D.C., and one of his best friends became um, President Harding and, and Florence Harding mm -hmm. uh, in D.C., and unfortunately, President Harding was one of the presidents that died in office, and also, President Harding and Florence was my grandmother's, my mother's mother's godparents. Wow. So, with, with that also said, um, when President Harding did die, Evelyn took her private train up to California, hid the deceased body, brought the body back, helped Miss Harding do the, the funeral at the White House. Unbelievable. After the, after the funeral, um, his body, President Harding's body, was to be taken back to Ohio, where he was once a U.S. Senator from there, to be buried there. They did not have enough money, so Evelyn paid for the, all the funeral expenses and for Miss Harding to move out of the White House. Unbelievable. They had, they had commonality in the sense that they both came from very, very simple uh, backgrounds, kind of like Jimmy Carter, you know, who came from a very simple background as a peanut farmer. Uh, and, you know, Evelyn's dad, father was a carpenter. I'm not so sure about what Harding's family did, but they were not wealthy. Right. So, um, so it just is a, it's a different era then. Those were people that were self-made, but they valued things a little differently. differently. Yeah. That's one of the things that uh, Evelyn, uh, in her autobiography, said that when she goes, if there's anything she would hope that her children have learned, is the value not only of money, but the value of relationships. How right. People are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. One. <laughs> well, no. There's a lot to wrap. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to wrap your brain around. Well, you know what? It just goes to show you how much I remembered, guys, because I read the book and, of course, represented you. So I'm yeah, glad I yeah. I'm glad I remembered. Um, yeah, I did remember a lot. Yeah. Uh, oh, just to touch back to Evelyn really quickly. I don't think I dreamt this, but I'm just going to uh, sort of mention it and and feel free to embellish, especially sure. because this is 
we rep I, I work with you prior to Downton Abbey and people watching the Gilded Age of of of, yeah. of that such a wonderful show. Yes. But that was the era that she lived. And correct me if I'm wrong, wouldn't she bring in a load of sand, put it in the middle of one of her tables, and then the her guests could mine for gemstones and find jewelry and take it home. Is that true or, or did I dream that? I think you have dreamt that, but actually Evelyn would have loved doing that. Okay, fair enough. To do that because she was just that type of person. She was very sarcastic and, and she was very, um, just her, her personality was just so big that her friends never expected what she was going to do next. Well, and she also was, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, wasn't she a little bit of a political insider? So she was not, it was not uncommon for her to be whispering in senators' ears or the president or whoever she could talk to, her, her opinion. She was known for one of the people that influenced the senators and uh, Roosevelt to implement the New Deal. There you go. After the war. Uh, she also, after World War I, uh, she went and there was, existed what was called the Bonus Army. Uh, soldiers came back from World War I and had no place to go, so they all started camping out on the mall lawn ah. in Washington, D.C. And so she would go down there. This was, you know, she was very kind and giving, but kind of frivolous at the same time. Sure. So what she would, what she would do is she would go to Chapin's, which is a well-known restaurant at the time, and buy hundreds of sandwiches. And cigarettes. And cigarettes. And <laughs> <take> the <family laughs> and yeah. So they could have lunch and smoke. You yeah. Know? So she just would do things like that out of the blue. Just And, you know, who used to be one of her best friends is Alice Longworth. And Alice would go down with her as well in the middle of the night, in stormy nights, and try to go and rescue anyone that was on the sidewalks that needed a home to stay in. And she, they, the two ladies would bring to Evelyn's house and get them bathed and put fresh clothes on them and feed them and learn about their story. And then um, the rest is history. And Alice Longworth, Rosa, 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 yeah, from Teddy Rosa. Teddy Rosa, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, who of course was also president, was Eleanor Roosevelt's uncle. Yeah. 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 And Eleanor lived with Teddy because her her dad was an alcoholic, and her mother um, they, they they just weren't able to raise her. So um, you touched on another president, and you have some history with this other president, and that is Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Rosalind Carter. Yes. Great people. I have to say they. I've been very blessed in my lifetime to be able to know such a wonderful human being and a wonderful president. Um, I remember him when I was a little child, but I do remember him mostly back in the 80s when he and Rosalind would come to Dixie and Tom T. Hall's house because they were best friends. Mm -hmm. And um, They would go berry picking and everything. Yes, we'd go um, berry picking for a charity that Dixie help discover the Williamson County Humane Association in Franklin, Tennessee, outside Nashville. Dixie used to tell a story about the only time she'd ever seen him scared was when they were out blackberry picking out in the bramble, and all of a sudden he froze, and the president froze, and he said, he called over Secret Service, 
and there was a rattlesnake in front of it. Wow. And she said that's the only time she's ever seen yeah, Carter afraid, afraid. Yeah, and afraid. And of course, the Secret Service people shot the, shot the snake, and, and everything was okay. But she said that was I bet she said that the, that's the first time I thought I was going to see a president die before my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and funny enough, um, I've always heard that you need to be really careful when you're picking berries because that's where snakes hang out. I mean, that was yeah, always the, right, yeah. the cautionary tale, you know. But, you know, Pam, I have to say, knowing Jimmy Carter was a, a wonderful gift to know his brother, Billy Carter, and his wife, Sybil Carter, and, and especially the matriarch, Miss Lillian Carter. Mm hmm Miss Lillian Carter came to the house all the time during the summers and in the springtime. And she always helped us can. She would help write recipes with Dixie. Um, she would help me do my homework at times. Um, Jimmy Carter helped me do my sin structuring when he came to the house. And he's authored so many books. Yeah. So yeah. many books. Um, I was. Pardon? Stay in the White House too, also. Yeah, got to meet different people. You know, Amy Carter, and and you know, grew up with Amy some, and you know, it's just one of those things that I'm again, I'm very blessed in my life. And what's really weird, I have to say, is that my grandmother, Evelyn McLean Reynolds, her godparents was President Harding and Miss Harding. How lucky was it that I got to meet President Harding and Rosalind Carter and the rest of the family? President, President, President Carter, excuse me, to meet Mrs. Carter. Yeah. And I think I was the luckiest person in the world as a little kid. His mom was so important to him. I mean, he always talked about his mother and yeah. family. Yeah. Family was so important. And, and yeah. uh, of course, Billy passed away, but Billy's yeah. son was a long time uh employee and and did all the 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 landscaping he was like architect uh, he was landscape architect working in downtown franklin and still has a column in the local newspaper so we still have a carter presence in in williamson county which is kind of cool yeah then that's buddy carter that's but yeah. buddy but, yes uh -huh. buddy yeah buddy's just wonderful he's he i mean we grew up together as well. Such a wit. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It, it calls his wife Love Weasel. It's hysterical. Yes, yes. Marlene. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so um, we live in a, in a state that is right now, uh, what's the best way to put it, guys? Conservative. Yeah. Kind of, <laughs> kind of fractured, a little bit fractured right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, like our country, we're sort of a microcosm of the country, and and um, gay marriage is legal. Yeah, yeah. But we don't know going forward what will happen. Just like Roe versus Wade has been um, challenged, yeah, and yeah. is un unfortunately uh, there's been a lot of um, anyway. I won't go there, but. But yeah. Is part of your decision to marry now because it's legal? Are you were you afraid that it might be rolled back, or is it just time to memorialize your love for one another? What, what prompted this? Well, it's both, I think. Yeah. You know, uh, 
Joseph was concerned about us getting older and, and things and making sure that we had we were able to take care of each other. We have all of those kinds of documents anyway, but we wanted to make sure that we were legally married in case we lost some of those other marital rights mm -hmm. again. Uh, and I think that was the, the major designation. Now, I have hope that that won't occur because that was the Supreme Court ruling that passed. Uh, and it could be rolled back, but I think it's, it's gonna, they will meet a large fight on that. Yes, well, certainly hope so. Because from my understanding, 75% of the population agree with it. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, be a and you know what's really wonderful about this is that our next generation that we have right now are learning about this, right. and they're taking it forward as well uh, with their friends or with themselves. Well, mm -hmm. I've seen so many kids, you know, uh, up in St. Louis where my niece lives, and in, in the neighborhood they live in is a very diverse neighborhood, and. Uh, the kids are also very diverse. You know, they allow those kids to be experimental and discover who they are, to discover themselves, you know. See boys in dresses up there, you know, little girls, you know, being tomboys. That, that's what they used to be called, tomboys. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. you know, being able to experiment and find themselves uh, without any consternation or judgment, which I just think is wonderful. I, you know, I wish I had had that freedom when right. I was much younger. But let me add this too, is that I think it's wonderful that you have parents that are African-American and, and white, and you have a gay couple, then you have um, two lesbians right. that live together with children, and um, all different religions that are mixed within the family, and it, that shows a lot of support, and, and shows that our going forward with life, it's okay. Well, that's the way our country really is these days. You know, you can't single out, you know, one um, culture, I guess I'll say. You know, mm -hmm. uh, our, our country's been ruled, you know, without getting too political, our country's been ruled by old white men for so long, you know, it's, it's the country's realizing it's time for change. It's, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's slow, but it, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Right, and and I think we, we, you know, people say oh, I've never seen it so bad. I've never seen it so fractured. We've we've been fractured before. We were certainly fractured during uh, the the Revolutionary War. We were certainly fractured yeah. during the Civil War, Reconstruction, yeah. and then you fast forward into the '60s, and what we went through was the Civil Rights Movement and with uh, yeah. feminism. So this is nothing new. This is uh, us growing as a as a nation and the world growing and yeah, right. and sometimes change is messy you know it's mm -hmm. messy oh yeah absolutely but it's so worth it if we fight fight for it and yeah we know what we're fighting for. you know i was just thrilled i'll tell you a story it doesn't really have anything to do with evelyn or any of that but you know i was just thrilled when we went to pride uh in june we ran across this guy and this tent that has uh, an LGBTQ recovery halfway house. 
Wow. In the LGBT community that now have a place where they can go and feel like they belong and not not have to deal with the shame and all of that that's been inflicted upon them for so long. Uh, and they can focus on their recovery. And I just found that wonderful and uh, so grateful that it's occurred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I remember moving here, and of course I moved here from New York City, and I one of the first people that I met uh, was gay and he'd been in Christian music industry and he started talking to me about his journey right. and he said that he faced a certain amount of discrimination but that he was sent to a place to pray him straight and I said what are you talking about exactly I had never heard of it I mean I guess I was in a vacuum and um I just thought that was so sad, just so very sad. You're trying to figure out your your life, and then um, to have 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 to go through that, and and what what that did to him emotionally and right. his his journey, yeah. and you know I well, you, I, I just someone telling you you have to live this kind of life, mm-hmm. and the other person, like your friend, doesn't want to. He wants to live his own life. Right. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not fair. Well, it's part of. I mean, aren't we all on a on a, a discovery path? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. we are. Absolutely. And, I am every day. Still. And just, I think, learning tolerance, learning resilience, learning to accept one another. And I, I know that probably sounds very Pollyanna, but I don't know. I just think that there's great wisdom out there, and and it's not just from a Christian standpoint. I mean, there's wisdom in multiple religions. There's wisdom in Buddhism, and and there's wisdom in in, um, Rumi, and and, um, the Muslim faith, and in Native American. Look at at the wisdom with the Native Americans, uh, the indigenous people that lived here, and and what they have taught us and could teach us, and and how they've suffered, and I just think that it's a dawning of a, of a new day, and like I said, change is a little messy. I mean, we're going through the second dawning of Aquarius, you know, and we, we remember what that, we were going through Aquarius when the 60s happened, the 1960s happened, and that was also a messy time. There you go. I would see that play back in the late when I was with a group called Up With People. You may not know this about me, Pam. I did not know you were with Up With People. Shut yeah. up. Oh, my goodness. I was in a singing group called Up With People, and we were out in the San Francisco area, and we had a day off, and this girl from the cast and I, we went into the Haight-Asbury, and we found a theater that was showing hair, and we were able to get in. Of course, we were underage, but they let us in. And, and they were we- naked. And they were naked. They were skinny band naked. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness.
the major theme of that group with us as people was like, you know, everybody in this world is equal and we should all treat each other that way. And so, you know, I believed in it. So I was fortunate enough to be part of that group for a year. I'm trying to think how many. Yeah, approximately a year. Yeah. And you traveled all over the place. Yeah, my junior year in high school. Basically, we were in the West Coast area. We okay. Started out, started out in Oklahoma. We we traveled the West. We did go up into Western Canada, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and performed up there. But uh, and then I'm learning a lot about. Are uh, you? you uh, not all that. I'm year about this. But we have our own conversation. There you go. There's something new to talk about. Violence. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh God. Yeah. So anyway, I'll stop. I'll have to get. I'll have to get your uh, autograph the next time I see you, Chuck. Oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I will say one thing though. I I was in the cast with um, Jerry Lewis she sang the world is my hometown glenn close she was in glenn the- close oh my yeah. goodness fatal attraction yeah 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 so she was in that cast for a brief period of time she was in another cast but she came over to sing with us a couple of times uh i think it was i can't remember where it was exactly but she actually came and sang a couple of times well so i remember we- the theme song up yeah. up the people you meet them wherever you go you do. Right? Uh, What's the rest of it, Chuck? How'd it go? Oh, my God. Up up with people. They're the best kind of folks. You no, know. If more people are more people, and a lot more people who care. care. Well, doesn't that say in a nutshell, people? <laughs> and you, didn't you wear, like, matching costumes and all that? Yeah, well, Matching, matching. Didn't you have like you guys as a group? You wore like coordinated clothes. Oh yeah, we all had matching. Matching, matching. yeah. Yeah, all of the guys wore the same thing, and all of the girls wore the same thing. Now uh, there was some variation a little bit. Like the guys may have had different color shirts. The girls had different colored dresses, but that was only like three different colors, and they were all the same style. You know, so. It was, you know, we're really uniform production in that way. So, because no one was singled out that way. Yeah. Everyone was the same. And people, some people had solos. They won a couple of times. And it was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but it taught, it taught you teamwork. Yeah, I did it. It was, it was exhausting. We sang this one song. We did this one song of, um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but we had, oh, it was our global medley, we called it. So we sang about different countries throughout. And then we got to the Old West and we sang Wait for the Wagon. But not just singing Wait for the Wagon, we ran through the audience, uh, holding our arms up like we're making a cheer, going, Wait for the Wagon. And we had to do that two or three times. And by the end, you know, I was just exhausted. Because <laughs> I was a little hefty at that time. I love it. But anyway, um, it was a worthy experience. I'm glad I had it. Yeah. So how often did you rehearse, and where did you rehearse? Um, well, we, 
we've mounted the cast and we're creating a new cast. Uh, and so we mounted, which was the high school cast, called Cast B, and we mounted that production in a small town called Ardmore, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, and we we mounted that production there, rehearsed it, everything that went on the road. And so we would have, uh, we would travel from city to city on buses. We had host families with whom we would stay in each city. And then we would perform at the, usually the local high school or auditorium of some sort. Sometimes once, maybe two performances over a week in the same place if the cities were bigger. Uh, and then, um, then we would move on to the next city. So we didn't really have to rehearse much because we were constantly doing the performance, uh, unless there was something that got off track. You know, then the musical director would would get with us and say, "Okay, look, this is not going the way it's supposed to. We need to review that and that sort of thing." And we would usually do that at sound check because we'd have sound check every time. We'd go with it. That was it. Wow. So it was a long, a long journey, but it was fun. It was exciting. And where did you guys travel to? Like, where are some of the places you played? Like, all throughout the States, but did you go international or not? No, the only international travel we did, because we were high school students, was to Canada. Okay, sure. Yeah, but we did not go, you know, over to Europe or anywhere else like that. Okay. Yeah, now one of the cats went to France and went to the UK, and, uh, but that's because they were all legally adult age. So anyway, that's, that's what we stuck to the United States. We had our own graduation for Upper People High School in Chicago. Wow. It was at Loyola there, and, uh, but I was a junior, so I left after my junior year and went back to my hometown high school for my senior year. Wow. And then I went to Vanderbilt. The whole world went crazy. <laughs> wow. What great experience. Now, now the, the the group is no more, right? Has it gotten, it's, ban it's dissolved, it, right? It still exists, but it's been totally restructured. Um, seen, I don't know if it exists after the pandemic. They may have stopped after the pandemic. But I used to see things because there's a, a alumni website. So a lot of times I would get posts every once in a while in emails um, or Facebook from the alumni, other people alumni. And uh, we would see some of the current things that went on. Totally, totally much more contemporized, which it needed to be for this time and frame of, of period. But, but um, lot fewer people too. You know, the cast we had was probably 80 people. Wow. We had three buses that we traveled on and a, and a big uh, semi with uh, equipment and uh, lighting because we took everything with us. We took all of our lighting, musical instruments, soundboard, all of that. Wow. What a great experience. Yeah, it was. Wow. Well, very cool. Well, I, I, I want to be respectful of your time. And um, if 
there's anything else you'd like to add, I always ask just sort of if you have advice you'd like to give, things that you've learned uh, going forward in life, and uh, maybe what would you like your legacy to be? Gosh, you know, that's a good question, Pam. Um, I would like to, I think I would like to have, I think going forward is I like to ask people to always treat people fair mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, always love one another no matter who they are. I know sometimes it gets rough doing that, but there's, there's always good in all of us. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, Pam, but, you know, the business that Jessica Carroll had was called Fair and Square. Oh! FNN. Oh, my goodness. It was based on uh, Evelyn's father, Thomas Walsh, that he always, always felt like people should be treated fair and square. Yeah. Well. And that's why he did the things that he did for his employees. His friends and such. Yeah, so huh. uh, that's why they based it on that. Uh, so that's a pretty good advice. Mine is, of course, that I've learned through my own uh, journey, a spiritual journey, I should say, which is just just take every day at a time, one day at a time. Yeah. There, there's there's no need for drama, although you may have it. Uh, you know, the the past is history. The future is a mystery as they say mm-hmm. and so the, today is a gift that's why they call it present present exactly yeah. did you did either of you ever uh did you ever face discrimination being gay oh you know when i was in in grade school i i was but you know, in the seventies, there there wasn't a lot to, to go by and know what that we know today. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of my friends, you know, would make, say names to me that I felt like I was the outcast of everybody. Mm-hmm. And if I had any friends, it'd be the girls. Yeah, that would that would be friends to me because they hated the boys picking on me. Okay, um, I like like for instance playing kickball. I was always the last beat. Pick, but I was always the best one on the team who ever picked me. Yeah, yeah. It's like a contradiction. Mm-hmm. I could yeah. fight with the rest of them, you know, playing games, but I, I couldn't be part of the, the games with them a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I, I was bullied. You were bullied, Chuck. Yeah. I was bullied when I was a kid. When I was like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, um, and. You know, I really had no support system. Uh, that's, I think, kind of what I hear Joseph say. I didn't really have any support system. Uh, but yet, as I got beyond that, uh, and I found up with people, and up with people formed local groups, too, called Sing Out. Mm-hmm. So I was a member of our local Sing Out. And that's where what the majority of my friends, both male and female, were in that organization. You know, so... That was where I found it. And I also had made friends with Boy Scouts. I was a Boy Scout. Boy Scout. Well, you found your, your group. You know, you found yeah, your found, clan. Yeah, found my community. Yeah. And so, um, so, anyway, initially, though, there wasn't really any support for me being bullied, except my dad said, so we'll fight back, you know. Mm-hmm. 
When did you come out to your parents? When did you? When did you? Either of you come out to your parents? I mean, you you sounds like you knew at a pretty early age. I did, but here's here's the kitchen. I never really officially came out. I came out to my sister. Right. But my family, you know, I learned this in in my therapy that our family had what we called open secrets. Uh huh. You know, maybe it was known or suspected, but we never talked about it. Okay. Yeah, I remember a time when when I first opened the salon that I had owned back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. And when I opened the salon, of course I had I, we had all these people to an open house, you know, party, and lots of gay people came, you know, gay people and girls and not very big straight boys or men came to that party and um, afterwards my father you know they always address things uh, through proxy you know my dad would say well your mother's feeling this way or my mom would say you know your dad thinks blah 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 so um, my dad came to me after that party and said you know your mother's really worried about you Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what do you mean worried about me? And she, and he said, well, you know, just your friends are all sort of the artistic type and blah, blah, blah. And you know, we know you majored in drama in college and um, we're just concerned about you and your lifestyle. And, uh, and I just, I didn't even come out. I just said, tell her not to worry. Mm-hmm. That's all I can, you know. Um, so, but but later on, you know, my mom uh, survived my dad. So she met Joseph. You know, she had been a couple of people that I had been with. And, you know, they were my, quote, roommates. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. That, that's basically where we left it. We never discussed the fact that I was gay. Yeah, yeah. Never. But how did you feel about that? Did you feel like you were living a lie or not? Oh, sure. Yeah, I did. But I felt like it was the best I could do to get along in the situation. You know, I knew no other way because I didn't know a lot of other people. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know a lot of other gay folks in uh, my hometown, for sure. I had some gay friends in Nashville, but that shame of about my sexuality still would kick in when I was around them. My own homophobia, so I was just uh, trying to get by with it and we just didn't discuss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I drank and did drugs. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole other story. <laughs> so that was, the, that was your shame, that was you trying to cover up who you really were. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. A lack of self-acceptance. But now... Yes, you are. And 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 Joseph, how about you? Did you did you did you suffer discrimination, or lack of acceptance? I did. I, did. I, I guess I was more lonely. Um, that that my step parents, you know, Dixie and Tom, y'all weren't more in my in my life on that part, on that level. Um, I'm sure that they knew, but again, it was something we never discussed with the family. Yeah. Um, they always met Chuck. 
I had dinner with them at the, at the house, and and, and um, I always wanted to say more, but I think you know if there's anyone that knew more about it, it was Dixie. She, as a mother, and as a as a, uh, a concerned parent, she knew, but she she was English, and she did not know how I think approach it. Sure. And she comes from a different era too. He told me that he, she would always ask about it. Yeah. You know, because after only a couple of times that I was with them, I didn't spend time with them anymore. You know, Joseph would go out to the house on his own to meet with him, which was kind of disconcerting. But I felt, having been through the same thing, I felt like, well, you know, he's got to do what he needs to do. Right. And did you not did you not go because you you felt uncomfortable, Chuck, or did you feel unwelcome, or you just didn't want to cause a problem? Why didn't you go? I did. I well, for one, I didn't feel like I was invited. Ah. Okay. It's not that I felt uncomfortable. I felt like maybe they felt more uncomfortable. I see. And so. I didn't want to rock the boat for Joseph. I just wanted him to be able to still have that family because he'd already come from a broken family already, you know? Sure, he, sure. So, you know, and, you know, he, and honestly, um, he still struggles with that at times. That's yeah. yeah. Well, you've got abandonment and you've got, um, it's also, I think it's very difficult having inherited wealth and to have some of the pedigree that you've dealt with. And so people are like, well, you know, oh my God, well, he was related to Evelyn Walsh McLean and he's got all these fabulous oil paintings and all these artifacts and all that. Money money doesn't buy happiness or acceptance or no, fulfillment necessarily. And you know, I, I've seen it on both sides of my family. I, I saw it with my biological parents who on the ABA Kentucky basketball team called the Kentucky Colonels. Mm -hmm. I, I've seen them um, go through buying other, uh, my dad was a real estate um, real broker himself, my real dad was, so I saw him, you know, struggle through his, his, uh, his own family himself. Sure. First of all, he came from a poor, poor family that never had anything like he, he had then, and then he made it. He was the only one in his family of 12 kids that went to college. Wow. And uh, and then became somebody. Sure. And my mother, her father was a U.S. senator from Asheville, North Carolina, two-term senator, Robert Reynolds. And he came with some money. But my mother really came from the money because she got it from her father, the senator, and then she got it from her great-grandmother up in Washington Plains. Mm -hmm. because, because my mother's mother committed suicide when my mother was four years old. Wow. And born on five, almost. Mm -hmm. And then... My mother's grandfather, Evan Washington's husband, committed suicide as well. So you had mental illness in your family. We had a, yeah, our, our problem was mental illness more mm -hmm. than anything. Mm -hmm. More than anything, yes. Because my mother's two first cousins committed suicide as well. Mm -hmm. So there's four close relatives to her that, that didn't succeed with life, and it's a shame. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I still think of my grandmother, you know, how she could have been living today and how old she would be to, to enjoy life and see my sister and I grow up and, and get married and have a wonderful life. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, my sister and I, we're, you know, we're close, but she has her own life, and she's a dog show judge, like I said, and she travels the world doing it, and I'm very, very proud of her mm-hmm. and her accomplishments, but I think sometimes she just needs to slow down and enjoy what she has, mm-hmm. and it's hard, and we get away from that a lot of times if we don't realize it. Sure, sure. So, but, but, you know, we, we, we even, we've, um, We've enjoyed, we don't take anything for granted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Nothing for granted. Well, I think that's a good way to be. I mean, life is precious and relationships are precious and they need to be um, treasured. And, you know, we had a conversation about decisions in life. And and we were talking uh, privately when we were visiting at my house and then we've talked since. But, But there's like your your family of origin and then your family of choice. And it's like, who, who are you going to do life with? Right. right. And, and are you going you, to surround yourself with people who love and support you and are there for you, not just to have dinner or to when things are great, but who are there for you. If you need, if you need an ear, if you need someone to talk to, or you need, you know, I really need help getting to the doctor's appointment or whatever. Yeah. It's and imp- then, you know, important to do that. I feel the exact same way. I feel the exact same way with all my friends. I, I'm very grateful for my friends because my friends have, who who help who help ground me. Yeah. Through the years. Yeah, exactly. Decades, I should say. Exactly. So they grounded us to become who we are today to be a strong couple, Chuck and I, to be, mm-hmm. and to to hold on to everything that we have that that has meaning to not just material things. Yeah. But love. Well, if you have room, if you have room, I'm available to be another friend. Dinner for a special occasion. Oh, you guys are good cooks, I have to say. I've had. You're always welcome for a small fee. Well, I've had peach cobbler you've made, and that's pretty darn good. And and uh, so we we well we we both you know both of us like to or all of us like to entertain and and to enjoy so uh to be continued and uh i feel very blessed to know both of you and so happy that that our paths have zigzagged and and uh intersected so well you know pam we have a long history together you yeah yes indeed yeah. Well, thank you so much, and uh, send me photos so we can promote this. And I'm gonna look and see if I've got photos of us together. I I, I thought I did, but we may not. But we'll make I sure. I think I have. I think I have a couple photos I'll send to you. Okay, great. Love you guys. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Thank you, Pam. All right, let's have Indian soon. You got it. We'll do so. All right, love you guys. Bye bye.